Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Let me tell you about Naaman. Naaman was one of the greatest commanders that have ever served the king of Aram. Now, Aram was a nation that had diplomatic relations with the nation of Israel. These two were at peace with one another. Now, Naaman served his king and his nation with the highest honor, with integrity, and with valor. He was highly decorated among the ranks. However, there was one thing about Naaman that wasn't perfect. Even though he was highly regarded among everyone he was with, there was one thing that he had to deal with, and it was that he had leprosy. And even with leprosy, he was able to accomplish all these great things. But man, it really bothered him. Now he had the one thing that that could even take the strongest of men out for the count. Now, one of his servants, uh, servant girls that was with him and his family household was a, a little girl from Israel. Now, seeing that his master was filled with pain, she approached Naaman and suggested that he go to Israel and go see the prophets who could cure him. Now, desperate, of course, Naaman went to his king. He wasn't just going to go on his own. But he went to his king and he pleaded and he begged for permission to go to Israel to find this so-called prophet so that he could be healed. And his king immediately approved his request and he sent him with a letter in hand to go and deliver this yourself to the king of Israel. And so when Naaman arrived there, he went before the great king of Israel, handing him the letter from his king. And when the king of Israel opened it and read the letter, he sent Naaman away and said to go from here. For upon reading the letter, the king of Israel took it as a diplomatic threat between their two nations, a test, if you will. And so he sent the man away. However, Naaman's request had traveled through the land of Israel. It didn't just leave with the king himself. It did not fall on deaf ears. Word, you see, from somewhere inside that place had traveled out and went into the house of the prophet. And he sent for Naaman to come and visit him in his house. So when Naaman arrived with his entourage of people, with the gifts that he brought bearing, with, he, brought, he had with him silver, gold, and expensive clothing, the scripture says. And when he got to the front of this house, He knocks on the door, and opening of the door was a servant. And the servant said, the prophet has asked me to tell you to go to the Jordan and wash yourself seven times. That's all. 
and closes the door. And Naaman stood there in disbelief. What in the world just happened? He turned to his servants that were with him and said, do you believe this? He said that he's commanding me, a servant is speaking to me to go into the Jordan and rinse myself off seven times. What's better about your river than my rivers? And then he even dared tell to the servants, he says, can you even believe that the prophet didn't even come out himself? He sent his servant to come and speak to me about this. So he's kind of throwing his tantrum around outside and his servants calmed him down and said, Naaman, if I may, if I may, what do you have to lose? Go and do what he says. And so out of anger, maybe out of a little disbelief even, he went to the Jordan. And seven times he went into the Jordan, cleansed himself, and stepped out. Back in the Jordan, cleansed himself, and stepped out. And on the seventh time, he left the Jordan completely healed and restored, renewed. The leprosy was gone. And now Naaman leaves the Jordan River filled with joy and excitement that he couldn't believe this actually worked. I went into a river and I got healed. And so he went straight back to the prophet's house. This time opening the door was the prophet. Welcome back. And immediately Naaman says, now, now I know that there is no God in all the world except the one in Israel. Please accept all the gifts that I brought. I brought gold. I brought silver. I brought expensive clothing for you and your family. And the prophet immediately stopped him and said, I will not take any of your gifts. He wanted to be the one to tell him that there would be no gift exchanged for the work that God has done, not me. It was never about the prophet who opened the door, for it was always about the power of God that took place inside the Jordan River. And so from that moment, Naaman went back home. Scripture says his entire family converted to the God of Israel. He built an altar. He took sand from there and built an altar back at home. And from that day forward, he only worshiped the God of Israel, the one true God. You see, Naaman would never forget the day that he met God's prophet, Elisha. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to dive into your word, to explore and to to even maybe learn and relearn what it is that you want for our hearts and for our minds. Father, I pray now, everything I say, everything I've written is only from the gospel truth. Nothing I say is from me and my own personal incorrect interpretation. But Lord, that everything is from your voice to your people. If I say it wrong, correct me. That Lord, we speak now into the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel. And my prayer is let that story not fall on deaf ears. And it's in this we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, you guys doing okay out there? Feel good? Oh man, what a prayer service has been so far.
He said, we're going to be spending the next eight weeks together on a subject, on a topic. We're going to be talking about actually one of my favorite subjects as Jesus. We're actually entering into a season where we're going to be focusing on him and his, in this case, signs and miracles. Now, technically, Lent does not start until next Sunday. But we're so excited, we're going to start it a week early. Because you see, there were seven miracles. It was a timing thing, okay? So we're going to start this series now. And we're going to be looking and examining the seven signs or the seven miracles that John uses in his gospel, showcasing that Jesus is the Messiah. And he was then and he still is now. And so we're going to examine these things and go through it. And even though, and I say this, even though maybe you have all heard these stories before, if you've been going to church for a long time, probably none of these are going to come to a surprise. Oh, that was a new one. You may have heard it. That's okay. But here's my challenge for you. Is I want you to pray that God reveals something new and afresh within your mind and within your soul for the next several weeks. As I have studied scripture, as I learn and read, and as I try to make this sharper, I've discovered that the scriptures are like an onion with layers. That when we're young and new to the faith, we read it at this layer. But through time, it starts to peel back just a little bit more and a little bit more, revealing and revealing and transforming and transforming. This happens most of the time when you do this. And you've all been there. When you're reading the scripture, and you may say it out loud or it may just be in your head, but you say, huh, I've read that a thousand times. Because in that moment, I believe God is going, but watch this. Peel it back. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. So the question is, Today, where do we start? Where do we start when we talk about Jesus and the stories and the signs and the miracles? And I've discovered, of course, that the best place to start is where? The beginning. That's a really, always a good place to start a story. At the beginning. Unless, of course, you're George Lucas and you start in the middle. You see, it's a, it's a marketing technique. You start in the middle, so that way later you can make the beginning, you see? But we're going to start at the beginning. And we find that in John chapter 2, when Jesus turns water into wine. You've heard this one, yes? yes. Oh, yes. When I, see, when I grew up listening to the stories of Jesus, when I was a child and junior soldiers, listening to children's church, listening to my mother tell me the gospel as a kid, I remember this story. I may not exactly remember what wine was, but I remember the story. He did something to something. And as I was growing up, I remember having a couple of questions. A couple of questions that I had asked was, why didn't he turn it into something else? Maybe Coca-Cola, <laughs> coffee, or perhaps some really good unsweet tea. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yes, there is really good unsweet tea. 
All right? I know that's, 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 that is a dangerous thing to say in South Georgia, but you can drink it without sugar. All right? There is good on sweet tea. And so after that, of course, my next question was, why? Why was this his first miracle? Why invest any energy at all in changing some water into wine? Who did that benefit? Who is that? What is that for? Why is this the first one? Was it just him showing off? Maybe it was a party trick or something, maybe just to get his feet wet before he gets into the big stuff. You see, I think everything that Jesus did had purpose and reason by design, planned and thought out. And this one, my friends, is absolutely no exception. So let's take a look at it. So what we know is that Jesus and his mother Mary and the few disciples he's gathered up to this point have been invited to a wedding. All right. That's a big deal. We got one coming up here in the church. Where's Blake at? There he is. All right. I'm invited. All right. Let's do it. Now you're going to have enough food for everyone, right? Okay. We're going to get to that. Pay it. This is for you. Pay attention. All right. Pay attention. This is important life lessons. So here we are. We got, we got Jesus, his mother, a couple of disciples. They've been invited to this great wedding feast, exciting times. Now, he, uh, I don't think when I read through this story, when I was researching and going through it, I don't think this story was meant to be anything more. When he got that invitation to go, I actually don't believe that it was meant to be anything more than exactly for what it sounded like. It was meant to be Jesus attending a wedding. Nothing more. He got the invitation and he went. And why would you turn that down? There's free food and, of course, drink there, right? You're not going to turn it down. So you go and have a good time. Jesus was just going to a wedding. Now this, to me, when I was looking at it, this shows that Jesus was very extremely connected to our traditions here on earth, to the things that we celebrate, the things that we get excited about. He was very connected to this and said, of course I'm going to be there. I'm not turning this down. He didn't act above it or he was separate from it. I don't have time for weddings. Don't you know who I am? No, I have time. I have all the time. Let's go celebrate. And he was a part of them, dancing and singing and celebrating. You see, weddings were a big deal. They kind of still are, aren't they? When there's a wedding, we get excited. Now, this part, like, just, you know, take some notes here. Weddings in Israel would go on for a week. Are you prepared? Okay. I'll see you writing. Okay, all right. They could go on for a week, a week long for a, for a wedding ceremony. This is exciting stuff. It was filled with food, filled with drink, filled with entertainment. You kind of think it would be about the bride and the groom. Not necessarily. It was about it. the whole community. The whole, the whole entire village came together for this one experience, this one thing. It was a way for the two joining families to celebrate their union 
and they did it in celebration. Now, I think Jesus planned on going to that wedding just simply as a guest. He was just a guest to have some good time and not to necessarily, quote, unquote, start a ministry or anything. It was just to be as a guest. That is, of course. There was one, one little tiny piece of scripture in there that changed the whole thing. You see, while he was probably drinking and being merry with his disciples and eating and entertained, his mother came to him and said, we need to talk. Okay. So they go off and she says to him, she says, listen, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's something, a serious situation. I have a request for you. Now here's the interesting thing is that this was a different type of request from anything that she has asked him to do his entire life. Now sure, Mary has given Jesus the normal mom request things. Make sure you clean your room. Make sure you, you make your bed. You brush your teeth. Make sure you do all these things. But on this day, when Jesus said, come here, I need to speak to you, Mary wasn't approaching Jesus as her son anymore. Her eyes have been revealed to the truth. And on this day, she was coming to Jesus, perhaps for the first time. I see nowhere else in Scripture where this happened. But for the first time, approached her baby boy as the Messiah. As her Messiah. As their Messiah. The request was selfless. Oh, it was so selfless. It wasn't for personal gain. It wasn't for pleasure. It wasn't to make Mary higher than any other person. Mary simply informed Jesus of one thing. The party had ran out of wine. What? Now, I'm sure there are many of you in this room that think that that is a class one emergency situation. If, we, if the party runs out of something to drink, that's a serious, not anyone in here, all right, come on now. But I'm just saying, I'm sure that's a serious situation to run out of wine at a wedding. So how, how in the world is this request of they run out of wine such a selfless request, a selfless act to go before the Messiah? I mean, that seems to me to be both petty and personal that they run out of something to drink. And it's because that it was a severe, I'm not talking a little, I'm talking a severe act of dishonor and embarrassment to the hosting family to run out of anything at the celebration. It was culture, it was tradition. It was something you didn't come out in public if it happened to you. And many of us have had those things happen to us. You don't want to lift your head anymore. You don't want to go to church and be around anymore. You don't want to go to war. You don't want to do these things. You know they're talking about you behind your back. You can, they're feed, it's just feeding on you. It's eating at you. And then it can even do something to your soul because you start to feel lonely and depressed. And so Mary went to Jesus and said, they're running out of wine. You know what that means. You know what this is going to do. Now I'm going to tell you that at first, Jesus didn't want, to, didn't want to do it. He, said, he spoke, he looked at his mind. He says, in fact, he tells her, why, why is this my problem? Now, he wasn't 
he wasn't having, it wasn't that he wasn't having any empathy. No, 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 no. But he knew. He knew exactly what Mary was asking him to do. Exactly what was about to happen. It's not my time. Now? Now? But there was one thing we know about Jesus, certainly know about Jesus. He sure loves his mama. Okay. Okay. And so Mary tells the servants, you, you, you do exactly what he says. All right, I'll leave you to it. And so Jesus immediately found six stones of little jars of water where that little, little pottery star they would hold water in. And these were used probably earlier in the wedding that day as ceremonial washing. They would store the water in these specific jars. These jars, they held water that was specific, specifically set aside for the purpose of cleansing. That's all they did. You didn't drink from this stuff. It was for cleansing. They would use it to wash their hands. They would wash their feet. They would wash their heads with this water inside of these jars. It washed away all the impurities, all of the imperfections of the world on you, and it allowed them to approach the Father with a cleansed body and self. They happened to be empty, as the scripture says, because at the beginning of the wedding, all of the guests would have gone and washed themselves out with it, poured it out and be cleansed before they started eating and drinking and celebrating with one another. So now they're all empty. There's nothing in there. And Jesus tells the servants to go and fill these jars up with water. Go find some water and fill them up. And so they did. They ran off and they found water and they, and they poured it up. Now this wasn't because Jesus was lazy and just said, hey, go fill these up with water. It wasn't that at all. You see, I think when I was reading through this, is that he knew what was about to happen. He knew what was going to take place. He knew what was about to start. And he wanted to announce it without ever having to say a word. And so he brought others in. Go get the water. Go get the water. And then here, the scripture says that the servants filled all of them to the brim, where they were just slightly spilling over. All of them to the very top. There was no room left in the jars. Not an ounce, not a drop. Not, it was totally to the top. And this is because Jesus wanted everyone, everyone in that room, to know that he wasn't going to add something to the water to make it change color or some party trick or some fancy little thing, but that he was going to transform it. There's no room for anything else. We're going to transform this thing. He was going to take something flavorless and give taste to it. He was going to make the old now new. And as quick as they filled them up, the scripture says as soon as they filled them, he said, now go get some. And they went and they took some out. <laughs> what? And he said, go give it to the master of ceremonies, to the master of the feasts. And so there he is, they're, they're taking it out. 
And it was extremely common at a wedding that you would have kind of like an MC, a master of the ceremony, a master of the feast, and they'd, he would always try first. It was customary that he would try first to see if it was good. And then he would approve it, pass it out, go, yes, this is good. Serve it out to everybody else. And so they poured it out and they did. When they did, they were shocked. They were shocked that the liquid wasn't clear anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't the same thing that went inside. It was not, it's not an imitation of what could, but instead, it was actual wine. And not just any wine. Oh, no, not just any wine. But the best wine that the master of the feast has ever tasted. You see, in the scripture, it tells us that the master, when the master of the feast took a sip of this wine, which usually all he would do is say, I approve, pass it out. But not on this one. Oh, no. He took a sip. Wait, stop, stop everything. Stop, 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 stop. Gather, gather around, gather around. <laughs> I got to tell you something. And he tells them that usually the host family would bring out the cheap stuff at the very end because we've already had too much to drink and we couldn't tell. But you, <laughs> you has saved the best for last. This is great honor from them. Feast, be merry, and celebrate. And they drank it. And in this moment, right here, this is the first miracle that Jesus performed. Now nowhere in scripture, not one place, does it say that Jesus got recognized for it? That he was praised for it? Or that he even stood up before them and said, listen here, and gave a nice biblical lesson or a teaching of some sort. He was in the back and just watched it happen. Now I'm sure his mother looked back and gave the mother said, thank you. But there's nowhere in scripture where Jesus said, hey, I did that. That was me. I know it's good. I made it. You know, nowhere. But from this moment on, you see, it is in my opinion, in my research, so I want to make that clear, my opinion, that this miracle was never actually for the party. See, from this moment on, from John chapter 2, from this story, he is now no longer Jesus, the boy from Nazareth, but will now be fully and completely acting as the coming Messiah. His card has been played. And those who are in the room, no. They know what happened. A miracle had taken place. And so, right here, on the first week of this, the journey to the cross has now begun by turning water into wine. Now, I go back to my question. Why? 
Why was this the first one? Why at this wedding? Why not fill all their cups in public if you're going to do it? Do it, you know? Go in there and snap or a hand clap or something, and then all their cups are filled up with wine. If you're going to do a miracle, let's go big or go home. Why did it, why, why? Why? Because, as Scripture says, it wasn't his time yet. But man, that guy sure loves his mom. Staring, and this is me envisioning in that room, Jesus staring at those jars of water as they're being filled up to the brim. Because you see, while he was staring into those jars, Jesus did a lot more than just making some wine that day. Just like Naaman, who was coming out of the Jordan, completely renewed, restored. Jesus was leaving that wedding on that day with the same renewal, same restoration, the same gift from God. The water in those jars represent the old covenant. The ones that were given to Moses from the Jews or from God to the Jews, and they've been living under for so long, they can quote it by memory. The laws given to the Jews by his father. But on this day, when he was standing before those jars, standing and looking at that water, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the covenants. By turning it into wine, the old has become new now. From out of the old, out of the old, the new was born. We don't write it off. We don't kick it to the curb or to the street. It's because out of it came the new. Came the new. They are linked together, not separated. Jesus is now both the old and the new covenant in one flesh. And how do we know this? Well, we just read it. Because the scripture says they tasted the wine. And that there was no other wine like it. Listen. It isn't watered down wine. People will try to water it down. They will try to bring it out. And they will try to, try to put things into it to make it less. To water it down. To make it easy to swallow. To make it, to make it, to keep the guests happy. We want to just keep them happy. And so we're going to water it down. We're going to bring the cheap stuff out. But you see, I'm going to tell you that once you taste the wine, that you taste what God has to give to us, there is no substitution. There's nothing that tastes finer. And once you've experienced the true gospel, you've tasted Jesus in the true sense, you don't even want the other stuff anymore. It won't satisfy you. It's useless. And here's the thing, is that if, if you've only ever had the cheap stuff, if that's all you've ever drank, that's all you've ever had, and why don't you take that first sip, stop everything, stop everything. This is the best I've ever had. Best I've ever had. It does something to you. It does something to you. Don't try to bring out the watered down stuff. They'll try to keep the guests pleased. But no other drink will do. 
No other drink will do. No other gospel will matter. No other variation of the gospel will matter. There's only one. One gospel. One Jesus. One Messiah. Who went to that cross. Who died for you and me. And resurrected from the dead. There's only one. And it wasn't about blessings. It wasn't he did that so you can be blessed. He did it so you can be free. The blessings are a part of his character. Who he is. He wants us to be filled with joy and love. But he didn't do it so that we can have big cars and, and, or I should say big houses and nice cars. He didn't do it for this. And even as tough of a pill as to swallow, he didn't do it so that we're never in pain. He did it so we could be free. So that when, when we're in pain, we know where to look. We know where he is. He turned water into wine so that you and I can be free. Because there's no substitution for him. Not one. This miracle wasn't for the wedding guest. It was for Jesus to accept his path. To start his journey and to die for the world. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Amen. John 1, 17. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Now let me tell you something else about, about that water. Inside those jars. They started one way and they ended with something so much sweeter. This can happen to you. It can happen to me. That maybe what we're needing is that we're feeling a little empty, got nothing left to give. We're out of answers. The pain is too much. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus is standing right outside of that. He's telling his servants to go and give me some water. Fill the jar, fill the emptiness up. And I'm going to tell you this. Allow him to come and stand and transform you. You think water tastes good? And it does taste good. It's good for you. But wait till Jesus gets a hold of you. Then you've tasted the real stuff. If that's you this morning, your jars are empty. The water has been sucked dry out of you. Pray. Pray for the service to come and renew you, to fill you, and then let Jesus touch you so that all those around can say, this, this is not the same. Pray as we start this season. Be in communion with him. Allow him to transform you 
allow Jesus to be your Messiah. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.